0: Two households, both alike in dignity. In Fair Verona, where we lay our scene.
1: Started. Welcome everybody. This is Sharon Smith and this is Iambic Presents Real Poetry, where we bring you the poetry, pictures, and popcorn. I am also with my two hosts who basically done something that's heinous, but I will let them get away with it, Marvin and Auntie Vice. Woo. What up? What's up, popcorn snatchers? What's going on?
2: You know, <laughs> just living the dream.
1: Yep. I, I see that. The dream is real, huh? dream's Oh real. yeah. And today, since it's my normal three, we have no guests today. It's, it's all out season on. This one that we came that we found, it's called from the 2015 independent film documentary, "Romeo is Bleeding." This movie represents Richmond poet laureate name, Dante Clark. And it basically brings up to his synopsis a fatal turf war between neighborhoods haunt the city of Richmond, California. Dante Clark transcends the violence of his hometown with, a, with writing poetry about his experiences, using his voice to inspire those around him. He and like-minded youth of the city mount and Urban adaptation of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, with the hopes to start a real dialogue about the violence in the city. This was done in 2015 by Jason Zildi. This was actually Jason Zildi's directorial debut, and it was executive produced by none other than Def Gem, previous owner himself. Russell Simmons. Now. Commentary. Marvin. It
2: it absolutely does not surprise me that Russell Simmons had a hand in this. Really? I mean, I didn't know that but it doesn't surprise me, you know? This is just the commentary what it speaks about, the chosen medium that it's trying to portray. I mean, that has him written all over. Like, now that you mention it I'm not surprised. But at the same time, I mean, that doesn't take away from this particular documentary. I think it was spectacular. I personally loved it a lot. Okay.
1: Odd device?
0: It's an incredibly well-done documentary. The photography in it is beautifully shot. Um, I thought that was excellent. I thought the editing was top-notch. I would not have guessed this was a directorial debut.
1: Yes.
0: I do like the way that they, they went and told the story. And from somebody who was living just south of Richmond at the time in the 90s, um, you know, and have been back in the Bay Area since then, it's, um, it really captured quite a bit of it. Like, you get a real feel for what it was like to be in those areas in Richmond. Like, you know, And I think they, they've picked it up. I think it showcased how writing can help people deal with trauma. Um, in an elegant way um, versus kind of the beat you over the head of some of the other ones that we've watched recently.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I, I think this does a wonderful and fantastic job in portraying real life and what trying to better yourself and enrich yourself outside of gang violence and finding programs and mediums to help you along Mm -hmm. the way. Does perfectly. It's not necessarily a cathartic moment as a lot of the films that we see want to portray, but it does show it in a light where it does allow us to help tell our story in a very realistic way. And I think this documentary captures that perfectly. Like I said, I don't think any one of those poets, any one of those kids, or individuals will walk out of this documentary and go, This changed me forever. This medium has changed my life. No, no, it hasn't. Like you even see in the documentary, someone died recently at the very near the end and they were all in the grieving process. Like none of their lives have changed, but doing what they do allows them a way to heal, talk about it and tell their side of the story. Well, I also think
0: it's an incredible plug for funding the
2: art. Oh like, yeah,
0: most definitely. I mean, in a time, I mean, this is filmed at at kind of the height of the we must fund STEM, science and math is everybody's way out, especially for kids of color, we've got to teach them to code. This speaks to how critical the arts are even for, you know, disenfranchised communities because those are the communities that get STEM programs keep targeting like this is going to be your way out. Mm -hmm. But what STEM doesn't offer is a way to deal with the day-to-day life. And so I think it speaks real heavily to the importance of art in school and the importance of the art, um, especially in disenfranchised communities. And you cannot make education wholly math and science and expect to get healthy human beings.
2: Yeah, completely agree with that. I mean, I think this documentary does show a really great way and a great alternative, like as you've said to STEM and all those science and mathematical based programs. And in, then in if there was ever an argument where someone goes or says to me, well, this is just art. No, no, it's not. I personally, I used to love using the whole, Hmm. I wonder what those Pixar animators did in college or did previously I wonder what we would call that. I mean, clearly we can't call it in an engineering profession. I, I mean, it, it sounds like they had a bachelor's in, uh, uh, I can't say it, art, I think. <laughs> and I feel like this, I would also point out too, is like, well, if you want writers, if you want anyone who develops something that you particularly enjoy in an entertainment medium that you just want to delve into, Look at these kids. Look at these mm-hmm. individuals.
1: Hmm. Mostly, apparently, I've. This is my second time seeing this movie, and I actually met the um, actual main cat, the main member, or the main the main star, Dante. I met Dante. Yes, he I seems him.
2: like he'd be really cool to talk to.
1: He's a, he's an interesting dude. Even even if he is, he still lives in Richmond. He still lives in that area, North Richmond stuff. So just being the fact that North, I did not know the history of North Richmond and finding out the glimpse of what they did give you it was a little eye shocking cuz finding out that not only because of the turf war it's because of the un the un, um or the in, the unincorporated part of Richmond that people that I didn't know about there's actually yeah, a block area that's not being incorporated Into the whole factor,
2: it's it's wild for me to hear when, like, in the documentary, it's not just the residents who say this, but the actual employees within the police station who go, Mm -hmm. "Yeah, thank God this incorporated area is not included into Richmond, otherwise our crime rates would be so much higher." Wow, fuck Mm -hmm. that! Absolutely, (laughs) fuck that!
0: (laughs) Well, in the the Richmond, it's not a new. If you look at the history of zoning in the U.S it is not unusual to move minority communities into the unincorporated areas as part of providing fewer services and less uh, city resources and all of that. Um, there's a great book out there called Poverty in Place right. um, yeah. by Jargowski that really goes into it. And so yeah, Richmond is not unusual in that sense and oh, putting yeah. them towards the worst part of the city, like out by the refineries. If they, you know, Once you're down there, it smells like shit all the time. Like you've got all the major oil refineries, there's a ton of industrial pollution. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, they've done that in Philly, they've done that in Baltimore. They've done that like, you know, you can go yeah. any major city, and that's exactly what they do with uh, black communities, with Hispanic communities, with poor communities. You push them out to the undesirable areas of town yeah. and they provide fewer services.
1: It's like, yeah, reser- I mean, it's like a reservation for the indians
2: i mean i think like one of the biggest things i can honestly take away is like you even look at sacramento itself literally on one side of the train track you have a really great community that's worth hundreds and well into the millions of dollars and then if you look on the other side you'll which are also by the way i might want to add pretty nice neighborhoods which are in the low hundreds of thousands it's not it, nothing about how society has ever worked, ever desegregated mm-hmm. anybody, has ever changed.
1: Yeah. Do you mean Uptown? Yeah. Oh, wait, okay. Mm-hmm. That was like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> yeah. I North mean, it's SAC. the same. It's, yeah, it's North Sac.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much like that for any like major metropolitan developed mm-hmm. city. Mm-hmm.
1: But but the the fun, the interesting thing is it not only tells about the history of the the they give you a little glimpse of the city of the history of North Richmond, but they also give you the, the, the battle, the battle of the Central and North and shows you the section of all the areas. Plus they also explain, they also try to figure out this turf war that's lasted so long and try to, you know, try to give a little explanation of it. Plus also give you the fact that the main character is actually losing people along the way. And, he, and they actually, people they actually talked to that they actually recorded died while this movie was, this movie was being edited or, or recorded or something. And that right there is even more disturbing. It's like, okay, this, they, this you're getting their last words before you even see them again. That means you're not gonna see them again. These are their last words and that's it. And that's pretty powerful for a person that's still, that's still doing what he's doing now. Um, the group, the the youth group that he's working with, as he as he said, he basically graduated high school. The youth group he's working with is called Raw Talent, uh, that's over in Central Richmond, and j- just the he's also noticed that few of whom few of them are also from different sector, se- different sector, sector, sectors, sections. sections from of the city. So, what? yeah. Um oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was saying there, there are different sections of the city. They're they're also from different sections of the city. So, just in even that fact that he knows that that this, he can be looked at as a threat because he's he's from the northern side, where a lot of these kids are from the central. So,
2: what I personally find to be the most heartbreaking detail, like obviously aside from that death and loss they experienced was when he's talking to his mother and she's literally telling him at 22 you've experienced more loss and grief than i've had at 22 and then on the flip side we also see how society as a whole has also changed as well he goes by a part that he used to love going to and he talks about this greater sense of community around him back in the early nineties. And now that's essentially lost. I mean, of course, I mean, you can put it on anything. Technology has really pushed a lot of people indoors. Stranger danger has also made it a big thing. I mean, but overall there's this sense of loss that I just find really heartbreaking in this documentary.
1: Hmm. So uh, go you guys. I was going to say it's,
0: it really captures what it is like to be in those late teen years. And be surrounded by violence and loss. Like I went to a school on the shitty side of the tracks, um, that was run by Sons of the Samoa was the big gang in our that in our sorry. school. Yeah. Um and I mean every year there'd be several kids from our school who would die in various shootings or whatever. And for years, by the end of the year on the front of the school we'd have new plaques to the students who died. Um, and, you know, having to learn to navigate in that kind of world and, and just deal with it and still keep showing up. Like, I think they do a great job of, you know, there is that grief, but it's, it's different than you see with a lot of kids who may have only lost, like, a grandparent or two or something. It's different when you're losing your peers and you're losing them on that level. Mm-hmm. And I think they really capture what it does. for this, And to see that kind of violence around them from the domestic violence to kids getting pregnant right like the high school I went to girls had four times the chance of ending up pregnant by their senior year than getting accepted to a four-year college straight out of high school and so you know growing it, it does a great job of capturing what it's like to try and work your way through that and then still find a place and this becomes a real place of healing I think for those kids and safety and support um, And that's why I think it makes it Such a powerful statement about the arts It's like even in the midst of all Of this shit you've got these Kids coming together to support each other And create this project and You know in a way that I don't think they would have otherwise
2: Yeah they even Outright say it Um, I think it was Denise the mate mm-hmm. They were talking about How she wasn't necessarily closed Off as in she wasn't Antisocial or mm-hmm. an introvert but she was closed off in the sense of like they were openly saying she was a little bit combative but this allowed her to open up and be a little bit more expressive in what she mm-hmm. was and i think that was great and they even have like other individuals who like who were cursory to her who were going i'm proud of you even if your dad's mm-hmm. not here and she's a very self-aware child
1: like it's great hmm so let's speak about the adaptation of the Romeo and Juliet. What do you think about that? With the, the fact that it's basically taking the same idea, but now they're trying, um, Dante revamped it to basically bring in all the things going on in Richmond. What do you think about that?
2: Sometimes I think when you make parallels, it just has to be upfront, right there, and just smack you in the face. And I think that's the great thing about Shakespeare being so ubiquitous and so universal. Mm-hmm. When you tell everybody that something as simple as love can be hard because of greater outside issues of feuding families, or in their case, feuding. Territorial gangs, but you can still try to find some sense of belonging in that. I think that's great, and it's like sometimes you really do need to hit people literally in the face with that parallel because they just like, they just don't get it. Because like literally, it's just right there at that time, and all they see is the violence, and they don't want to see it in any other way. And when you present them to them in a new, profound way. That they're not used to seeing, it really does help them understand that, and I think this does it in a great way to help it along
0: oh, and I gotta say, I love modernizations and updates of Shakespeare stories because I mean there's there's so many of them, and there's so much fun. um like I still think you could completely update King Lear to the Trump dynasty, like I think that would be even <laughs> fam- think of that phenomenal parallel, right? I didn't even um, think of that. <laughs> you know, my, my kingdom for a judge who won't make me release my taxes, you know?
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, some of the Republicans would like to think of Caesar, or that Caesar play yeah, for him, but, but I mean, no. Nope. <laughs> I mean, there's
0: just, West Side Story was the original gang adaptation of, uh, you know, translating gangs into
2: Romeo and Juliet, right? Um, I mean, yeah, a lot of people have tried Taming of the Shrew Taming for the their Shrew. Rom, rom-coms. Oh, um, yeah, straight up. Yeah, I mean, like, Sons of Anarchy, that recent show, is a mm-hmm. very direct, realistic, not realistic, sorry, modern portrayal of Hamlet. Mm-hmm.
0: I think about that. Uh, you know, and I, so I think they're fun. I think it makes Shakespeare feel more relevant to each generation who sees an adaptation of it and make it more modern. Because, I mean, they address it at the beginning where, you know, Dante says he read it and he thought, ah, oh, this doesn't apply to me and it's this weird English and, you know, I don't see myself in it. And then he read it again and he's like, no, this is exactly what they're talking about. And I think with a lot of literature to be able to then understand how some of it applies to you um, and, and find that universal attachment can draw. It's a great way to draw folks into it. Mm. Um Because so many people want to poo poo reading and poo poo plays and, you know, that's not my thing. And this is just another way to make it relevant to them. Um and I you know, and being able to take an originally poetic form and allow these kids to do spoken word with it. So you're still talking about form and structure and they're learning writing and they're learning how to edit. Um and they're seeing growth and development. Like it's a it's a phenomenal program they outline and the play itself is you know, oh, makes yeah, me I would have to see it.
2: Yeah, I would have paid, yeah. paid to see that. I would have paid oh, yeah. a lot of money to see that.
0: Yeah, I would actually love to see it as a traveling one because I think you could do, you know, a traveling version of that around the country and it would resonate with kids in that age range across the U.S. Like, it would not feel foreign. It would not feel like, oh, I have to go to the Shishi theater thing. It's like, no, they're actually speaking to me and it makes the arts relevant again to a new generation.
2: Oh yeah, no. You could del- I could totally see it being a mm-hmm. lot more useful, util- useful and utilitarian, in the sense that it's a traveling thing mm-hmm. than just being one spot. I mean, right. we even see again when Dante is speaking to the juvenile correction kids. Mm-hmm. One particular child immediately spoke up, and they uh, and every like, the employees there were even saying you said something that resonated to him. Mm -hmm. You may not think it's much, but it clearly spoke to him.
0: Well, and that's... I mean, I think that's where a lot of the literary arts have their strength, is when you do storytelling, when you do poetry, you can connect with people who have gone through something similar, and there is so much trauma in Mm -hmm. the world. I mean, it's the overwhelming thing. I mean, when I teach, you know things on sex and kink, I have never gotten through a class without having to address how trauma impacts sex lives. Um, you know, which is an awful thing to think about. That there's so much there that nobody just naturally goes into healthy relationships and we're all fine and dandy, <laughs> right? Um and they capture that. Like a lot of them don't know where the beef started between North Richmond and Central Richmond because it's been going on so long, but it's I hurt, so I want to hurt somebody else. And giving mm-hmm. people a space to express that in a non-violent way can be very powerful. And I think that's the importance of the arts is it's like you start putting language to these feelings and you start processing them. And it doesn't feel like you're in therapy or, you know, going to your teen center after school to talk to your peers, which, you know, <laughs> as somebody who grew up, you know, I, I was told that was not me. I was like, fuck that, fuck group. But I would go to art stuff. Like, I get that as a way to work through your trauma and then to teach these kids how to do it in the right way rather than journal at an open mic um (laughs) r.i.p shine um Mm
1: -hmm.
0: (laughs) that um, you know it actually makes sense because then you retell and reshape your story so you come out and they did that with the play where they didn't embrace the tragedy at the end and they embraced life and you saw the reaction of the audience which is like what everybody was wanting, right? And when they say they choose life that night, you just saw this, thank God, you know, not another night ending with another dead teen, which is the lives of so many people.
1: Mm-hmm. So that, that actually brings up a good point. So as a lot of people know, um, po- poetry has been has been able to centralize or immerse itself into a lot of things. I mean songwriting, um, play, um, even speech. So this this one normally um is Shakespeare. Shakespeare has poetry, but it's also Shakespeare is known for his playwrights. Mm-hmm. And being that one of the main things is always the sonnet and stuff that people have seen Shakespeare use in Shakespearean sonnets and everything. This one was done with a lot of mo- a lot of they're doing that Dante basically made wrote the whole script, but he used their they were able to make their own monologues of what they're gonna mm-hmm. say or a spoken word piece to what's gonna go on with this. What do you think about that?
2: I think he did it beautifully
1: okay mm-hmm.
2: while he wrote the script while he played the scenarios. Maybe he wrote some of the talking points to outline what he wanted the structure to be, or at least the theme is. He allowed a lot of creative openness for the children, obviously. Like, he even mentioned it, and then you saw, at least with Denise, she... As long as she stayed within the realm of what that scene needed to be, as long as she stayed within the realm of what that specific talking point needed to be, she fit, She fucking went balls to the walls with what she wanted to do. And I think mm-hmm. there's something to be said when you direct someone and you work well with them and you both work in, or not both, but you as a group work in unison together and understanding what needs to be said and portrayed the first time i read romeo and juliet i was like this is weak i
0: don't get it this ain't got nothing to do with my life now when i read it it's like this is what's going on in my neighborhood right now richmond california
2: welcome to my city last weekend we had a shooting every night and one night we had two shootings we have a gang problem it's
0: about north versus central the reason why we are fighting is because our parents was fighting.
1: My little brother—it was really easy for him to be a thug. It's in his bloodline. What's your device?
0: Yeah, I with Marvin on that one. Okay. <laughs> I don't have a lot to expand from there, but yeah, I mean Marvin got it. Most
1: definitely. <laughs> so, so finding out that so we find out from uh, pre. A previous uh before the actual start of their of him doing the actual play and stuff we find out about his story about Dante's story and basically about a teacher an english teacher that he met named Molly who took him on she, she basically took her took him under her wing and put him into the the spoken word um, um competitions and basically got him out there just to be around that stuff. Even though in the point of his mind in um, 10th grade, he was already to the point where he was done with school. He wanted to be a drug dealer. He didn't want to do this anymore. But her direction kind of changed his momentum, changed it. Well, her, her, her experience kind of changed his momentum to do, okay, let's, well, let's do this. And then when she left school and moved on to work at that youth center, He followed her. And even even he was surprised, like, I'm not a teacher. But you can resonate with these kids. You're more than their peers than I am. And and she didn't look like she was even like not that older than him. I mean like maybe maybe four or five years. Yeah, even he even
2: spoke to how young she was, how surprised he was. And I think Mm -hmm. they're also it, it speaks very well into specific individuals within the teaching community who can do well, not, and not just the arts, but who put in that little extra effort into schools that just so badly need the proper resources. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had teacher friends. I've had friends who got into the teaching profession where they're, they told me like before they got into the school that they wanted or not even one, but just found a school that was going to hire them while they were doing their subbing. Right. They got into certain ones that were just so impoverished or just were in the quote unquote ghetto or hood or just underfunded areas that they were like, okay, we're just going to put in a video or some shit like that. Or I'm not even going to try with some kid who thinks, see, I'm trying to posture it against them. Like, I think it says something, a lot about certain individuals who put in a little bit more extra effort.
0: What about well, youngers? and oh. and you see the difference it makes because his older brother, who's out dealing, was like, "Yeah, it's good that he tries or whatever," but you know,
1: right. it, yeah,
0: it's it, it never going to change. But his younger brother kind of follows, Derek, yeah. Un, yeah, follows him and starts finding the way out. So I, th- again, it speaks to the importance of putting in your most capable teachers into the mm-hmm. schools with the greatest need. Right. Um, cause some, some kids are going to thrive no matter what. Right. And I say that as the total nerd gate kid, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, I had mostly shit teachers through high school. <laughs> um, I am surprised more of them are not in prison. um, <laughs> No, seriously, yeah, seriously. It's, it's,
2: it's, no, 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 I know you're serious, but it just, Yeah. I'm sorry, um, sometimes a statement in itself. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. It's, a, it's a lot, and I don't know how else to, to read I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, I remember no, no,
1: his point, I remember his point, that um, Dante said that one of his teachers told him, he like, said, you're wondering why you, you're still here, I mean, she yeah. basically just quit, or...
2: Yeah, uh, Yeah. Well, yeah and I there are definitely certain people who shouldn't be a mentor that are placed in that position. Like I mean, or shouldn't some- be teaching. Oh yeah, no, totally. I know someone who is wildly in love with music, and she wanted to be a ch- like a professional cellist, and she was mm-hmm. telling me like how she had a very specific professor who just told her that she wasn't going to be cut out for it, that she was better off trying to be realistic. And it's like, dude, fuck off.
0: Well, or. You know, i have a friend in the whose kid was in the sacramento school system public school system and his son was like a sophomore in um high school and kids mixed race kid and um the adopted dad is white and when he went in to do like a parent teacher conference you have to go in through the office or whatever and check in and their first assumption was he was his son's parole officer Oh, yeah. Even though his kid wow. was a, a rotsy kid, never been in trouble at school, just a white guy coming for a mixed race kid, obviously it had to be the parole officer. And when he met with his son's Spanish teacher, because his son was struggling in Spanish, um, you know, he said, okay, so what are we going to do to get him through this year and next year? And the teacher said, oh, we'll get him through this year, but that'll be it. And his dad's like, well, you got to have two years to be able to apply to a UC. And the teacher's like, why would you even worry about that for your kid? And it was oh. just so dismissive. Um, and I think, you know, people get dated and stuff. And some, there's, when you go through, you know, education to become a teacher, you know, dealing with your own internalized bigotry is not dealt with. Like, that's not a part of the program. And so it comes out. And, you know, I think here, you know, you see this young teacher who comes in and she'd been teaching. Uh, poetry and language in the prison system and with the schools and she's willing to work out and work with these difficult um, students and students who are seen as you know not promising or whatever and you see what a difference it makes and so it speaks to the need to really instill that in the people who are going into these schools and find people who can really work with the students of that school and not just throw any substitute or whatever you get at them and, you know, good luck. And hopefully they'll all come out alive at the end of the year, you know?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Like wholeheartedly.
1: I mean, it did, it did pull up the fact that, um, like you pointed out, there are teachers. It's scary to say that either teachers can, can inspire or they can harm. And sometimes teachers don't even see that as a problem. I mean, the, 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 just the point of the institutions themselves, from medical to even even jail, it, it, it shows the fact that either people have been there too long or they already got this, this short bias of what this person they already identify is. Mm-hmm. It's not a point of if they're a good person or a bad person. They just already have their mindset. This is what I think you are. And this is where you're going to go. And that's it. You're either gonna you're either gonna get help, or you're not gonna get help. I'm not. I, I ain't the one tail to the system. So what you want, you know, it's, it's really a it's really a cut. I hate to say a cutthroat, but if the institution is really a cutthroat position, because just like DMV, you basically go there try to get it. Just you want you want to get your driver's license, and you have to go through all these hoops or all these situations. To get a piece of paper that just so you can just get in a car and drive and they do so much to make you want to hate them
2: yeah it's very bureaucratic in nature for <laughs> sure it's very bureaucratic in nature
1: yes and I think
2: that's definitely teaching I mean mm-hmm. a lot of them do want that cushy salary that okay. tenure that that ability to say that they make a difference, but I don't think, and I think it's also, and it doesn't speak to everybody as a whole or the system as a whole, but it definitely does speak into this nature or idea that you have to be very naive to think that you can directly affect everybody Mm -hmm. and not wind up accidentally leaving certain people behind or sit there and think to yourself, well, their circumstance is different. We can't change that. Like it I get it, but to say that there's nothing else to offer them is a wild disservice to them. Mm-hmm. For sure.
1: Yeah. And they're the ones that they have to trust. I mean, you're the teacher. You're supposed to teach me or show me a direction, not a
2: mm-hmm.
1: not like the old prison the pipeline.
2: Yeah, yeah, no. And I get that. Like I think we all agree that not everybody's perfect. Like not everybody no. is suited to help. Everybody, like, there are going to be certain people you can't help who that you are not equipped to deal with. But to say that they are completely inexcusable or completely beyond saving is just a wild Mm -hmm. disservice to that specific individual. And, like, I I think Mm -hmm. for myself at least, and I think this this documentary reminded me a lot of a specific poet that was talked about this too. Which one? A certain poet laureate.
1: Oh, 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 okay, okay, I understand that completely, yes.
2: Yeah, but no, I remember, I recall that he specifically talked about this now, he had a notebook that he didn't realize hip-hop and rap was poetry in a sense, but all it took for him was that one teacher who said, let me see it, and we're going to work with you on that, and I think it does speak with a lot of poetry laureates and or poet, young poets that we have in our own communities that find again they don't they find catharsis in this medium they find some Ooh. level of okay, comfort yeah some escape in what they're saying and doing but I think what was her name I'm sorry Alexandra the Vietnamese poet laureate oh yeah, yeah,
1: I, there, yeah.
2: Huh? I she's going to an ivy League I don't think she's majoring in. Anything related to the arts, is she?
1: Well, she's good, she's getting ready to be she wrote in to become the United States Poet Laureate. So she's right now going for that.
2: We're gonna we're gonna have an Asian American poet laureate she's pretty trying, soon.
1: She's trying to go for That'd be Yo,
2: awesome. as a fellow Asian American, I'm rooting for you. <laughs> 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 Alexandra, if you're hearing this, I'm I'm rooting for you as an Asian fellow Asian poet. Totally rooting for you. But at the same time, look, but like that besides the point.
1: But even you, like what you said, like Alexandria. Even you know, from a practical standpoint, your parents ain't looking to you going, "Why are you going to the arts? You should be a freaking doctor or something." Oh yeah,
2: totally. I I Ooh. work a nine to, like like aiming back to myself. I work a nine to five, aka I hate it. But <laughs> at the same time, I do something that personally fulfills me, but it doesn't make me any money. Like, and I think like you have to be realistic at the same time. But at the but doesn't discount the fact that there are certain things that provide fulfillment for you as an individual.
0: Well, and I want to go back up, to, you know, looking at having at like a, a national Asian American poet laureate in taking something that is so quintessentially seen as, you know, high culture, like Shakespeare and reinterpreting it in a vernacular, um, that's relatable to these kids, but it also does is say, you know what? They're still part of the American system. They're part of the American school system. And it, it helps people bring in other groups other than, you know, traditionally white Americans into the concept of America, because the more you have participating in the arts, the more visual representation you have of different groups, um, drawing on universal stories like Shakespeare, The more, you know, the predominant culture begins to see them as as American, and you stop. You begin to get people who won't ask the question. So, but where are you from?
1: Um, (laughs) No, we're
2: not Uh, uh, not there yet. But no, no, I'm going to say this as I'm sorry. I hate to I hate to like take this away from you, Auntie Vice. uh But as the resident person of color in this group
0: I'm looking at Sharon here. Ah,
2: I'm sorry I don't I'm sorry I didn't I did okay. that out. <laughs> but but Beepak <Me>, <laughs> I deserve to get slapped in the face for that. <laughs> no, no. Keep wow. Going. Keep going. But as someone who gets constantly asked this like I mm-hmm. and I feel like it's only asked of any within that Asian minority mainly like purely because like no one's going to ask a black person although i think i know quite a few hispanic folks who still get it no yeah no no no, like okay Mm -hmm. fine like you're right you're right but (laughs) god we're gonna have to edit out a lot
0: well no but what i'm saying is it doesn't
1: it hasn't that question's never
2: gonna leave that question's never gonna leave i i can guarantee you 100 like it's never going to leave. And I think it's also partly because like, mainly there's a sense of superiority in at- mm-hmm. wanting to know more about a person without realizing how insensitive that is. Mm-hmm. Like, I could, for instance, I know several people who are Japanese who have been here for generations, generations, mm-hmm. might I add, like mm-hmm. maybe three generations in. Mm-hmm. They don't have a single trace back to Japan Mm-hmm. At all, they don't know a single word, single bit mm-hmm. of their culture or history, mm-hmm. and people will still ask them that, even though they speak oh, yeah. perfect English. Well, but
0: you also have to then look at in the arts, where are Asian Americans represented? We've got, mm-hmm. I think, two TV shows in the last two decades that I can think that mainly focus on Asian Americans as Americans. Right? There's not this abundance of, yeah. <laughs> Um, that's the most recent one, like you know and, with that show <laughs> Margaret Cho had all American Girl, but that was like two decades ago, right yeah um and you know, you look at pop stars and you look at country western stars, we don't have a major Asian country western singer, right? like the representation is still very small,
1: it, but it's
0: as you still, yeah, right, for sure. As you grow, and and even though K-pop is really big, most of the K-pop bands are from Korea. It's not like they're American K-pop bands, right? So until you get, you have to reach a mass level of where you just have Asian-American characters being written into shows as just Asian-American characters, no accent, no focus on their, you know, the culture and, you know, their parents immigrated or they immigrated. Until you start instilling that more, people are still going to see it as a different group, an outside group, right? Um, And because if you look at black Americans, they've been much more integrated into television and pop and music. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's not necessarily a question now of where are you from. There's still discrimination, which is a whole other thing. But (laughs) they are seen as American. Maybe not equally American, but still... Amer- There's not a question of, oh, so are you from Ghana? Or are you from Nigeria? That's not a question that comes up, right? Unlike for Asians or Hispanics who are not nearly as represented in, in media as Americans without an immigration tie,
2: right? Yeah, no, and you're right on that. I think you're definitely right. I mean, I love the direction we're going to, but I do, mm-hmm. I... Fundamentally, to my core, and I think this is also the counterculture lover Mm -hmm. in me. But fuck rich, crazy rich Asians, and fuck bling. Well, I love the representation. Love the representation.
1: Yes, Mm -hmm. but no, where it's going? Yeah,
2: yeah. I hate the representation that we're. It has to be gaudy. Like this is not the Mm -hmm. everyday Joe Schmo portrayal of us. And goddamn. Fuck them. Absolutely fuck both of them.
1: But you gotta but you also gotta understand the fact of this actually kinda changes the perspective to white America that, oh, Asians have just come here, they're poor as ever. It's like, no, they're actually not rich Asians. Yes, <laughs> yes,
2: you're right, you're right. And <laughs> and I, I kind of have to get out of my own. Bubble to see that but I'm forever going to be eat the rich yeah
0: no I, I'm there with you on eat the rich yeah going into this I was actually very concerned that the movie would just turn into poverty porn it's of how,
1: crazy rich how... yeah no 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 rich, um, Romeo is bleeding yeah. oh 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 yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. The, one, the one we're reviewing yeah um... <laughs> sorry no I'm still on my I hate everything right train um,
0: <laughs> but you know I think they actually avoided that. Like, they they really rounded out the portrayal of Dante, and it wasn't, you you could have, in a less skilled director's hand, turning this into a white savior thing, where Molly has pulled him out of this horrible, but they didn't do that.
1: No, yeah,
2: I
0: I agree with that. I will say I I appreciated that because this had all the makings of a, a total poverty porn white savior documentary. <laughs> it
1: and they was dangerous <laughs> minds, wasn't it? Oh
0: my god, this could have been straight up dangerous minds. I,
2: I no, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I was worried about that as well. It's like, could this be poverty porn? Like, I feel like every any since I saw a forty year old version, I was completely worried about. It's like, is everything poverty porn now? Am I just in love with it because it's poverty porn? Like, part of me was worried about that, but. <laughs> You're right. Dante mm-hmm. was a very well-rounded person. You still see this part of him that triumphs, but then at the same mm-hmm. time, there is some very serious loss that he's still facing. Like mm-hmm. it's not all rosebuds and rain- rainbows for him.
0: Yeah, and they—they they, well, they did credit Molly with kind of championing him and taking him under her wing and stuff. She was not his savior. No. Right? He stepped up for himself. And he was the one who, and they really did capture that. And yeah, like in a less skilled director's hands, I don't think that would have come through. Um, and this was somebody who clearly understood who he was and what he went through, and captured his story and not an imposed narrative on it. And I appreciated that about this.
2: Yeah, no, you're right. Like I think with a lot of documentaries these days, they do pander. Mm-hmm. A lot, or they necessarily allow a very specific side to pay them off to speak a very specific story. Mm-hmm. And I think this, in general, flushes out everything very well. Dante is a very well-rounded person, in accordance to the documentary. Like well, he they, has his they portrayed it, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, it shows him with his flaws. It shows him with his victories. I mean, even directly in the very beginning, he even directly says, I was an idiot. I wanted to be a drug dealer. I didn't see Mm -hmm. a better path until then. Mm
1: -hmm. And what did you, and being with that, what do you think about some of the poetry, or even some of the, the interlude poetry, like the one where the girl when they basically had the situation where the, um, the the oil refinery was kind of you know on fire, and she comes in and tell and they explain that the oil refinery is in a, is in a corp, in an unincorporated area, mostly because the business is crazy, <laughs> and they and they find out that a lot of the kids who live in North uh, Richmond have an asthma, their asthma rate has gone up to 12%, more of them getting asthma than than a lot of other places. When you find out that they're they're basically in destitute. And then you hear this poem about, you know, I'm, I breathe this stuff, I breathe this, I do this. I am Richmond, even though you don't think I am, I am Richmond. And just her poem is, it seemed like every poem, I hate to say every poem had a slam, you know, a slam feel to it, but a lot of them had a... Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> but it had a slam feel. Yes, They all had a slam feel because it was slam. I'm sorry, but it was all slam. <laughs> but well, and they're all
0: learning that style, so they're all practicing that, yes. oh, yeah, that yeah.
2: voice. Yeah. Yes. But that being said, since you were talking about the air quality poem and the girl who talked about mm-hmm. her skin as being gray rather than brown, that actually was my favorite. I related to that really? one a lot. Oh, okay. I think there was something very powerful in the sense that not that they all weren't powerful, but there was just something about that spoke to me more than anything else, just in the sense of I am my environment more than what you see me now because Mm -hmm. of where and how the, the greater part of society has placed me. And I definitely can understand that. I definitely can mm-hmm. understand that in a larger sense as a ch- as an Asian American who had to go to an, aka affluent, aka diverse school that was just a lot of rich uppity white folks. <laughs> I was always going to be that token Asian kid. And at the same time, I was always going to be that token white acting Asian kid in the group of Asian kids. Like there was never going to be any point of me that's going to be fitting in. And I, there is something about how she talked about that spoke to me. Nice. Arti
1: what, what poem affected What did you like? remember
0: the end piece where they're doing the play and he and denise are going back and forth Mm -hmm. i thought that as a team poem was fantastic um and i think they nailed that one the poetry itself is all fairly solid slam poetry spoken word performance right Mm -hmm. um i don't think there was anyone that was more outstanding um Mm -hmm. than the other in terms of content and structure and everything um, but the final piece that they do as a team piece, I I did appreciate the way that came together and I thought it was done very well as a
2: team piece of poetry.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's not like any one of those specific pieces wouldn't have gotten a snap or like high 10 or high nines or perfect 10s. I mean, mm-hmm. no one in that group in that documentary would have had to do- backflips for a higher score is what I'm saying. They would have scored very high in sack I think.
1: Well, you know, <laughs> being that they're from Richmond and we've been out there in Oakland and stuff, they really go for the social justice. Very,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, they're very self-aware scene. That being said, as soon as pandemic ends, I nominate that we road trip over there just to okay. invade their scene. <laughs> <laughs> invade? No, they're my people.
0: I'll let, <laughs> I love I'll let it. you. I'll let you two go. My my. um more Joyful Erotica does not hit a score as highly there, I will.
2: I still say you should go. I'm still for it. You never know. <laughs> <That
1: is true. laughs> so, we so, are never coming up too close to the point. Okay, so, we are going to do Snap Judgment, where we basically rate this movie. With our Snap Judgment, we do go three snaps. This movie should get an Oscar award. It should get all the... It should get an EGOT Two snaps, it wasn't that bad, but it wasn't that good. One snap, I think this should go back to the ghetto where it came from, into the river, into the refinery, get it burned up. We give half snap increments. Everyone, we are gonna do it just like we've been doing before, where we close our eyes, I count to three, and we put up our numbers. Half is the fifth, The quarter (laughs) is the palm.
2: (laughs) Uh, We finally gave a quarter scoring because of you on TV. (laughs) Uh,
1: I will
0: always fuck it up to make it work for me. On TV, just just
2: making all the new rules and (laughs) setting the way. I dig it.
1: (laughs) All right. So close on our eyes. We will count to three. One. Two. Three. Oh, open up. Oh, three all together. Oh, I like Ooh, it. Three. what?
2: Love it. We're on sync. <laughs>
1: <laughs> three all together, folks. That means it's all it's a nine out of nine. We have basically given it this at a nine out of nine. Now, Marvin, why'd you give this movie three stamps or <laughs> <a> documentary?
2: <laughs> I mean, I think. Personally, for me, as someone who's been watching a lot of documentaries a lot lately, this one felt unfiltered. It, do- it didn't feel like someone was trying to push their narrative from the outside person, or from an outside perspective. Like The person who was narrating, the main subject of focus, was allowed to tell their story pores and all. Wart- I'm sorry, warts and all. <laughs> but in doing so, they allowed us to glimpse their life in every bit. All the best parts of it, all the worst parts of it, and come out of it not feeling worse or not feeling better of ourselves, but, to, but learning something new. And I think this documentary did something perfectly in that sense. It showed what life can be like outside of your own bubble. It didn't make it look bad. It didn't make it look good. It was just there. And that's all it needed to be as a documentary. And th- that's very rare for documentaries these days where they just don't, they don't try to set a narrative. They're just there to give you a slice of life from an outside perspective that you might oh. not be used to. And that's all it needed to be.
1: Okay. I why'd you give it three?
0: Pretty much same reasons as Marvin did. Um, and this this story presented a lot of pitfalls for a lot of documentarians you know the the white savior the poverty porn the uh gratuitous violence they could have added in like and it it was a very restrained director who understood how to bring out the voice of the subject and really capture richmond i mean god if you spend any time there you're like Oh yeah, that's that's Richmond. <laughs> yep, yep. Like that's... it's really relatable. Like I'm watching places where the streets I walk down, and yeah, yeah, it's Richmond. Uh, mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> as that... as someone who takes his parents there, because there's like a really great dim sum place there. <laughs> really? Yes, that's Richmond. You'd be surprised. It's mm-hmm. Bay Area. Do you know how many Chinese people are in the Bay Area who love wow. their dim sum? Mm-hmm. There's a lot, man. I can literally give you a list to go and it's going to be like all over the bay <laughs> wow
0: <laughs> more dim sum restaurants in the bay area than like between nevada and and the east coast right and it's like, yep. yep yep um yeah no i think they did they did a great job at capturing it I, and you know i would say everybody should see this this is this has something to offer i think any viewer of the, the movie i don't think anyone would be disappointed with this
1: mm-hmm I enjoyed this because not only because it's the second time I've seen it, but I also met the person, but,
2: (laughs) but name drop, name drop guest star appearance. If you know him that well,
1: (laughs) it's in the works. Don't stop me. Okay. (laughs) But the fact that just like we pointed out, you only get, you get a glimpse and you actually get an actual narrative of what's been going on in a place you've never been to. Just this is a this is a constant. I mean, beyond just the cops giving their little um, piece of information, you also start finding out that some of the stuff that has been that has been done in the community is still going on. It's, this is not like how people always point? People always have these weird these weird ideal effects of that's old, you know, that's slavery, that's old. Oh, that's 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 um that's um civil rights, that's old. They never have an idea of things that happen currently. They just kind of look at everything as being, oh, that's, that's in the past. That's not happening now, right? And it's like, yeah, it is. It's, you're just not paying attention. And it's been happening. But game, isn't that not somewhere else? That's, that's old. That's no. Happening now still. So it's, it's always interesting when people, this is basically trying to explain to people, there are things still going on in The Bay Area. But there's also art going on in the Bay Area. And a lot of times, these are the times where people, a lot of um uh I would say a lot of um community leaders or state representatives will start cutting off, um, start doing cuts, budget cuts, because they feel like no, they don't need that. We need that money, or we want to put that money over here, we want to put that money over there, we'll give that to the tech company. They don't need that for arts or for music, and you find out later on that. Yeah, they did.
2: I mean, where does that tech company go when they want to make that flashy, awesome logo, man?
1: So it's it's a it's it's funny how it's funny and also painful to know that there are things still going on, and they've been going on for so long, and no one's trying to change it. They just keep like, well, it's gonna happen. Just keep on just keep on going. Just, just we don't need to change anything. Point being, I gave this movie three, Auntie Vice gave it three, Marvin gave it three. That is nine out of nine people. I say for to everyone, go see this. Wait a minute. So I gotta ask you guys, would you think this would be good for a poet or a non-poet? Everybody. What are you thinking, Marvin? I agree, everybody. Like
2: this this is a slam poet thing. Like everybody deserves to see this.
1: Hmm. Okay. But I concur. Everyone needs to see this. It might be close to home. It might not be, but hey, it's still poetry. i I like to thank my co-hosts. My, I call them my popcorn snatchers and my candy snatchers. Marvin and Auntie Vice, thank you once again. Woo! Tell them your... So Marvin, go tell them your social media where they can find you.
2: Yeah, you can find me on IG as StarvinMarvin09.
1: Auntie Vice.
0: You can find me at Auntie Vice on most social media. And thank you for everyone who voted for me for the Bon Appetit, America's Favorite Home Cook. I made the first cut. Go vote for me this week on it. <laughs> Links are on all my sites. And on March 27th, I will be appearing on Kinky Carnival. All the details are on my site.
1: You can catch Sharon on I Am Big Zine. That is I A M B I C Z I N E. And we basically got all these episodes on any streaming services. Please check it out. I like to thank my crew for coming out. I'd like to say to everyone else, please go watch. Romeo is bleeding. And also give a shout out to Dante Clark. His handle is D-O-N-B-L-A-K, Dante, Don Black. He also has a new book out called um, Closed Casket. Check it out. He's been selling them all right now. And give a shout out to them because Dante, I'm going to hit you up. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else, take care, peace, be, be loving. This is the last episode for Black History Month, which will be coming out even though it's coming out in March. We will start off with a Women's History Month. So, our next movie that we will be seeing. Will be the Emily Clark's one, Calm Passion. That'll be our next movie that we see. Take care, everybody. Love yourself. Love someone else. Get your vaccine and keep your mask on.
2: East. East. Wait, 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 wait. What? We did an episode without me mentioning it. Fuck Dang you, Mulan.
0: on. <laughs> 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 I was <laughs> I gotta get in there. Don't do it.
1: <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. <laughs> there's a there's a there's one back for y'all. Fuck Mulan. Don't see it. <laughs> Alright, take care. <laughs>